So here's the question. When the rules we've been operating by have burnt us out and the hamster wheel is keeping us awake at night and stuck, how do we, as expert entrepreneurs who want to make significant impact but just can't take on one more thing, grow our businesses and teams, double our revenue while working less? That's the question. This is the Business Habitat. I'm Sam Dean, your host, and this show explores the answers. Stay tuned and enjoy some brave conversations. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. I'm Sam Dean, and you're listening to the Business Habitat. And today is all around building great habitats and really safe habitats. And I've got their marvellous um, and intriguing Alan Stevens on. I'm actually going to have a couple of uh, sessions with Alan. He's got two very interesting things. So first of all, today we're talking about primarily his campfire project and the reasons around that. He saw a real need out in the world to have a really safe place, particularly for men to have conversations, first of all, on a one-on-one basis um, and then in a group setting. And it has grown and escalated. I'm not going to give much away. For me, it was the reason why I wanted to have Alan on and particularly around this. I think it's a great model to really look at how we can set up really safe communities and habitats within our own businesses and, you know, learning from these really safe communities that really do discuss some of the hardest things that you would discuss in life and bringing together people who just didn't have the framework or the communities to discuss this. So I think this is a really important topic today and I hope that you enjoy it as I said Alan will be back he's also a um does very facial profiling very quickly and it's such an interesting thing and and how you can really learn to connect people later on but for today stay tuned I think this is such an important topic we're kind of building a series of how we can really you know work with our teams and ourselves in creating these safe spaces and I hope that you take away from this just as much as I did. Hello everybody and welcome to the Business Habitat. I'm your host Sam Dean. Super excited to have Alan Stevens here today to talk about what I think is one of the most important topics and his solution to it right now. So Alan has been one of the founders of an amazing program which I'll get him to talk about called Campfire Project and I'll get him to talk about it. But what I want you to hear when we work through this is the relationship to business, how they've created this lovely safe habitat and how we can use some of the things that they did in our business habitats as we build it. Because one of the biggest issues coming up for us as not only as business owners, but as the workforce is business is a community and it's a community that most people, it's their only community. And also we have to start really tackling this problem. And I think the, the way Alan's set up Campfire Project is a really interesting one and I think we can all learn some. So welcome, Alan. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and, you know, how and why, so what Campfire Project is first and then we'll get into how and why. Well, first of all, thanks very much for the invitation. As you know, I uh, love talking about the Campfire Project and uh, the results that it's getting. But uh, where it started for me is, as you know, I'm a profiler and I work with both men and uh, and women, but in business in particular, I was finding that men were, uh, when I asked them, well, if you, give me one word to explain your, your feelings. And the word um, frustrated and, con- and the other word confused were coming back quite a bit. And I went, well, first of all, confused with what? And they said, well, with all the uh, gender equality and everything, because with the way we used to be able to speak in business, now we've got to watch ourselves all the time. And that's causing, uh, you know, we're always frustrated that we're going to say the wrong thing. And if uh, we do, it's going to be taken the wrong way and we can get into trouble when we're not meaning to do it. And they said at the same time at home, you know, we thought our role was to go out and create the resources and come back and feed the family. But now we're being told that we're emotionally and physically absent. Now I realised that that confusion was leading to frustration. The frustration in some cases was leading to anger which led to uh, bullying in the workplace, domestic violence at home. And I thought, right, the biggest problem was, well, I always learned a long time ago, you don't uh, fix bullies by beating the bullies up. You have to find the reason why they became bullies in the first place. 
And so it's the same theory here that I needed to find out where the frustration was coming from, but let the men find their own way. And I realized that, well, if we look at uh, international um, uh, days of the year that we have, there's 197 uh, days that the UN have acknowledged as international days. There is not, there's ones there for women, there's ones for children, there's one for families, etc. for all the different uh, groups out there, but there is not one for men and there is not one for boys. And I realized that wow. uh, so many were frustrated because uh, and even uh, International Men's Day, which I'm part of last year, was actually um, banned in a number of universities in America because it was celebrating men. That's interesting because we're lo we're looking at you know diversity and equality and equality means equal so that's it um you know we should celebrate men particularly men who um exactly doing the right thing are doing the work <laughs> um, which is so brave to do so it was only minority groups that made a lot of noise that had that uh, band in a couple of unis but what those people don't realise is that by banning it they were telling all men not. You know, the ones who were doing the wrong thing don't care. Yeah. But the ones that were doing the work that were trying to do the right thing, it was virtually telling them, you're wasting your time. And so these are some of the things that we're up against. And that was actually increasing the chasm between men and women and causing more problems. That's why I realised about uh, th well, going on four years ago now, it was August uh, 2018, I created the Campfire Project under the hashtag initiative of uh, We Together because together is the only way we solve problems. I, I'm totally in support of Men Too and I'm totally in support of, uh, of uh, Me Too movements because they highlighted the issues and they needed to be highlighted. But the problem is they're pointing the finger at each other and they're pointing the fingers at others as the problem. You're never gonna fix the problems while you're pointing fingers at other people. You have to come together with them and stand shoulder to shoulder looking at the problem. And so that's why the campfire came about. Originally, it was for men as a safe place where men could come in and tell their stories. But from day one, it was never a men's group. I'd selected some really great women that I knew who I knew would do the right thing, invited them in. They sat there and the men would come in and tell their stories. And these, I'd interview a person one on one and it'd be recorded. Nobody would see it until after the recording and they'd approved it. It gave the men an opportunity to have somebody just hold their space to be the eyes and be the ears that they normally can't find, to listen to them. And so they felt that they were valued. And in that sharing, then I'd ask them, you know, is it okay if I share this with the rest of the, uh, the group? Now it's a closed group. Anybody's invited, anybody can come in as long as they're respectful to everybody in there. And so the men would tell their stories and then I brought them into the one-on-one, -on -one, sorry, from the one-on-ones into panel discussions. In the panel discussions, we started talking about drugs, alcohol, masculinity, femininity. You know, we had a look at the uh, Gillette ad that was going, carrying on about um, uh, the uh, uh, toxic masculinity. And no subject was off the table. We were talking about everything that were affecting men. At that point, the women started sending me personal messages, which was I, I was waiting for it. And they were saying, we love these guys. We've never heard men talk so deeply about their emotions and to communicate the issues of today so well, is there any chance we can get involved? What do we have to do? I said, put your hands up, been waiting for it. So I brought the women into the one-on-ones, brought them then into the panel discussions, and we've had combined panel discussions. We've had uh, myself with uh, women. We've had uh, young Scott who runs panels in there as well with women. And we've increased the number of conversations, uh, the types of conversations to include things like menstruation, menopause, does size matter in the bedroom? And if anybody wants to know the answer to that, you'll have to come into the campfire project. Come into the campfire. It. It, it is fascinating. So, <laughs> I won't ruin it for you, but yes. But that was a really uh, brilliant one. It was actually run by uh, young Scott. He'd asked um, five women, thinking he'd be lucky to get three to say yes, they'd do the panel. He got all five. So we had a panel. There were six of them in the panel. And... Uh, it was a beautiful conversation, women of different ages and different uh, backgrounds and everything. And every conversation we've had has been respectful. There's been no bigotry, no sexism and no racism. I don't care about somebody's gender, their culture or their religion. Everybody is welcome to come in as long as they're respectful. And with that, 
the end result has been we're growing a community now which is um, covering over seven continents. In fact, the only places I haven't interviewed anybody yet is the North and South Pole, but I'm working on it. I'm sure you can find somebody. <laughs> well, we people are doing research and if they've got the internet, yep, we can talk they to do. them. That's fascinating. And what I loved about that, what I picked up, um, which is so important, everybody, is the progression of the safety. So you start with one-on-one -on -one, um, and you get people to feel safe because, you know, this is the big thing. We don't talk about this stuff because previously it has been unsafe and I can't, I can, you know, from a woman's point of view, it's been unsafe. Um, I can't even imagine what it's like. It's a different thing, you know, for men as well because of that, you know, very much you know, masculine go out, hunt and, and do that sort of stuff and I think the heart you know I know that the hard work is actually the internal work and the soft work and that's the tough courageous work but I don't think many people really collate that so to then have that that build if you like of, of safety so one-on-one -on -one, then if that's okay you can see you know you can then disconnect from it slightly you can go and let other people watch then you progress to a smaller group and then you pro progress to the community but you can also sit back in the community and get and I'm certainly doing that and my brother's in here as well and he's doing that at the moment because it's quite new to him that you can you can feel that safety and you you're watching it and people aren't leader they're they're leading just by action in and this and nor it is normalizing I suppose it's normalizing these conversations and then hopefully I'm assuming that the main goal to that is then to normalize it outside so people can come, obviously it's having effect because women are saying, oh, I've seen a change and it's, it's available and it's free. And because, you know, another thing that just popped up and just popped up in my head is not everyone has access to the help that they need or even knows where to start with that help. And this is a way to get very much involved in a community that um, has a help in there, you know, obviously not. And then they can, I assume, steer you somewhere else if, if that's required. That's it. Yeah. So if you're an individual and you're going through tough times and you're on your own, the first thing is, well, where do I go? Where do I go and see? And then if you're going to go into therapy, mm. you're wondering what the person thinks of you. There's all those extra pressures before you even get there that add to the problem you've already got. To be able to, uh, well, this is why men's circles, you know, uh, people would go out to a bush and sit around a campfire and that's Virtually, you know, I'm 70 now, but when I was uh, 50, this is when it all started for me, when I started my spiritual journey. It was through some connections with the Aboriginal groups that I got invited out bush and on a regular basis. And that's where I learnt about, and I was sitting around the campfire, listening to men talk to each other in the most respectful ways, especially when somebody was talking about something that I would normally find in business and other areas. Somebody would have a joke at them and sort of put them down. You know, possibly not trying to be nasty, but just being trying to be funny. Yeah. It never happened around the campfire. People always had a different attitude. And that's uh, why um, that was the beginning of uh, my journey into uh, spirituality and that's where the, the campfire project came out of. But if you're feeling this, you know, who do I turn to? The good thing about the campfire is that when people come in, they go, well, if I do a one-on-one -on -one with you, is somebody going to see it straight away? I go, no, it's been recorded. And they go, well, and I'm going to ask you at the end of it, is it okay if we share it with other people? And they go, well, what happens if I say at the end of the recording, no? I go, I delete it. And they go, does that waste your time? I go, no. My job was to hold your space, to allow you to be able to give yourself permission to tell your story. And once I've done that, whether I keep it or we delete it, job's done. If you get to say it's okay to share, that's a bonus for the people who will hear that because I guarantee some of them are going through tough stuff and it'll give them an opportunity to pick up some ideas on what they can do. And secondly, I guarantee the responses you'll get when I post it will be a bonus for you as well. And people come back really positive to what they've heard. It's such a good thing. Because it's such a good thing because I, you know, I, I heard, you know, when people do in a workplace talk about stuff and people then try to be funny about it, mm. I also think it's, it's a because they're going through the same thing and they're feeling uncomfortable. So what you, yeah, so what you're giving those people who might still feel uncomfortable is to say, I'm not, it's, it is me too, or I'm not the only one. This is actually normal. Like most people are going through, I think it was you who said to me that, um, what's your quote that 
you know, when you look at somebody's face, when you pro- you know that everyone has had, what, what is it, childhood? Uh, four things, yeah. First one is that everybody has um, uh, suffered or is suffering. Everybody wears a mask. Everybody mm-hmm. pretends they're not wearing a mask. Yep. And everybody is a result of all their childhood sufferings and rewards. So we are the combination of all those. And one of the reasons yes. why people have problems with uh, talking about mental health is because there's a stigma with it. But I always say to people, you know, tell me about your best day and t- tell me about some of your bad days, the feelings you had. Well, when they talk about that, I just go, well, you're on the mental health scale, the same as every other person on the planet. It just depends on which end you've slid to the today. So thinking and looking at other people and thinking that, you know, there's something wrong with them, they've got a mental health issue. The main thing is you're worried that people might see that you've got one. Now, if you're feeling great, it just means you're down the other end today. Tomorrow, things happen, you know, everything, you get up in the morning, you stub your toe and everything goes wrong, the car breaks down, people are cranky, there's road rage. Yeah, your emotions are switched down to the other end. So everybody is on that scale. And once we accept that and realize, hey, we are human beings, we are driven by emotions. Yes, we make logical decisions, but as far as like, I need a car. Okay, I need to get from A to B. It's not gonna be a motorbike. It's not gonna be a push bike. It's gotta carry equipment with me. It's gonna be a car. End of discussion on the logic side. After that, it's all emotional. What type of car? What's the car gotta have? What colors? You know, last car I bought had to have uh, cup holders. Yep. And I've been laughing about that because every car I'd had before that never had a cup holder. Well, how did you survive, Alan? I mean, seriously. <laughs> we had, oh, a coffee in between my legs driving was not a good idea. Not for especially a, if you had a bump. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, and that's why um, when I bought my uh, next car, the first thing I looked for, how many cup holders it's got? Uh, and it's so <laughs> true. That's an emotional purchase, I tell you. Yeah, I think I heard this from Brene Brown, you know, and, and I think I've said it in a podcast or two probably is that we are all you know all humans uh, are animals that feel and sometimes think but we think we're thinkers that sometimes feel and if we can just know that um, and know that emotionals every emotion is there's no good or bad emotions um, and then it's the it's actually what you do with them that's the problem not that you have them. Yeah, we had people who weren't leaders a long time ago telling us that we we had to leave our um, home life at home when we went to work and then when you left work, leave it at work and don't take it home. They were showing that they had no understanding of the human uh, uh, condition at all because we're emotional beings. And this is one of the reasons why if somebody's not happy in the work that they're doing mm-hmm. because they're being bullied or they've gone into the wrong career, they're not productive for the organisation. They're unhappy at work, which means they affect everybody else. If they are being bullied, other people observe that and that will affect their performance. Those, all those people go home. They're whinging about their work and that's affecting their spouse. It's affecting their kids. And if they're having a tough time at home where they may have started there, then they go to work and they, they bring it into work. You cannot switch it off. We're emotional beings. And we're one person. So it's that's not it. like you can leave another... I mean, I... I have been guilty of that. I was taught that, mm. um, you know, for, particularly as a woman trying to be a leader in a very patriarch system, you know, the accounting industry, it's like you you can't be emotional. You know, business isn't emotional. Business is people. It is highly emotive. I'm, I'm, I'm in the middle of something at the moment. Again, you know, this is, you know, the lesson I need to learn and keep learning is, you know, just because I can do something doesn't mean I should. It is being ripped down, this business only because of emotion nothing else just hurt feelings all the way through and it's we we got to deal with that all the time and I remember also you know when I was part of the big firm saying to to women early on don't cry at work don't do this don't do that what a load of crap I was so that I think that has destroyed more people that thing than and it nearly destroyed me because if you you clamp them down, eventually they're going to come out somehow. And usually it comes out in bad physical health, not even necessarily mental. The physic, I heard something on a podcast statistically, and we'll put it in the link the other day, that something like 65% of people, in workers in America, are physically ill from just that right now, just from toxic workplaces or, or whatever that is. Not mentally ill physically ill and then it just lets go you know that that most people are on this the mental health spectrum as well 
Well, I think the Australian business uh, stats that came out recently were saying, I think it's about 48% of businesses, business owners, small business owners, were talking about the level of stress that they had. I think it was about 27% that said that it turned into uh, depression. Now, we just heard recently that the head of uh, one of the building companies, uh, I can't think of the name at the moment, uh, committed suicide the other day. This is a company that used to build 6,000 homes every, um, every year. And because of the conditions we're going through and everything else, if anybody thinks that they're not emotional at work, you know, just stop and have a look around and, uh, and look at yourself as well. I think in most cases, it's people are trying to deny it because if we don't have to face it. You can't see it. Then it doesn't exist, but it does. And the trouble is, you know, when we don't face it, the problem gets bigger. There's an old saying that a problem shared is a, 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 is a problem halved. No, it's not. A problem shared but not acted upon is a problem multiplied. Yeah. A problem shared that is acted upon is a problem that's hard, hard and in quite a lot of cases totally dissipated. And it's so interesting. I mean, obviously do a lot of work with women, you know, as well and, and trying to, to work that. But the patriarch system and stuff that we're in is actually killing more men than women. Women tend to get out. Yeah. They, they do get help. Um, so I know, you know, this is just my stance, but in the last year, men I've lost three colleagues or three people that I've known in my past life, you know, as a, as a practicing accountant have died between the ages of 54 and 52, two from a physical heart, heart attack and one from suicide. So that, you know, if you think my, my world is not that big, that is shocking beyond belief. And if I look at the two men that died of physical things, you could see that it was going to happen. Um, and it's a physical thing as well, but the mental health and the, I think it, I'm sorry, you're probably better at these stats than I am, but I did read somewhere and I hope I'm right, is that 75% of suicides are men. That's right. Eight people a day are successful at taking their life in Australia mm -hmm. and six out of the eight are male. Yeah. And so it's a ridiculous number. It's really important. This mm. is really, really important work. And I've seen it when I've helped you know, men through just giving them somewhere. I mean, I must admit that when I start hold, started holding space, you know, when I was working in the advi more advisory roles in the big accounting firms, the people who ended up in tears in my offices were more likely to be men than women. <laughs> not not working, but the actual people that I was working with to say, I remember once, uh, actually this was an accountant in, in just recently, two or three years ago, I said, you know, as part of our program, we go, hey, what is it that you want out of life? And he burst into tears and said, no one's ever asked me that. And I went, what do you mean? I was shocked. And he said, I don't think I want this. I said, okay, let's talk about it. Let's just have a chat about it. We're not going to be able to solve it, but maybe feeling better. And, he, and it was just a beautiful, beautiful conversation just because I didn't really do anything except for hold space. And that is so valuable because it's, it's a, it's, it is a superpower and it is very learnable because I've learned to do it. And we've got to start listening. And then we've got all of the, I've got two boys, so this is obviously a very important topic for me. We've got to be modelling this. The only way they're going to not do this is to see us trying to fix this. And then hopefully they won't, they don't even need to have a podcast about this, you know, when they're our ages. This episode is brought to you by The Aligned Leader, a six-week program built to combat the leadership fatigue syndrome. So you can grow your business without the overwhelm. And so we're finding the younger ones are more likely to open up, but a lot of it is because they have been, if we look at the number of families that are broken up, say 50% of the families where the father's not present either emotionally or physically, the end result is the boys are growing up with the women, so they're getting more of the emotional uh, uh, learnings and, oh, yeah. uh, and teachings from their mothers. So they're more open today in talking about their emotions. The problem was when I grew up, it was always a case of, you know, you, you're seen but not heard. You know, you had a problem, you sucked it up. You had to be tough and everything else. So, and we were great students. <laughs> See, people keep saying that men aren't emotional. We Everyone's are highly emotional. emotional. People are emotional. But we do not know yeah. how to handle it. We haven't had the training in that. This is where women beat us hands down because you will talk to each other. You will share things. You allow your emotions to be shared. You get into the emotional empathy. The only problem with that is if you stay in the emotional empathy, then everybody becomes part of the problem. We see it on Facebook every day. 
someone puts a, a proper thing up, people then take sides. They're into the emotional empathy. Us guys, we can't handle the emotion, so what we do is we try and fix it. Where we make it go wrong is we don't take that time out to validate the fact that the women are feeling emotional and go, right, I can understand that. I can feel your pain. I can see your pain. How can I now help you to get a solution? If we did that transition, then you'd have men and women working together real effectively. And that's what we're finding in the Campfire Project is happening. So men, our problem is that we are highly emotional. We haven't learned to express it. We've always been told to keep it down. And if we shared it, there was something wrong with us. But understanding the flow that we go through as well, if we look at boys as they're growing up, you know, we complain about our you know, teenagers carrying on like idiots. Well, they're no different to the uh, wild animals in the bush, like the bucks in springtime. They're butting heads. They're finding where their position is. That's what the teenagers are doing. But this is where you need the other men, the older men, the, more, the ones who have been through this process, to be around because they then go up to the boys and go, okay, you've figured out your role, you're feeling great about yourself, you've got that level of testosterone and everything else happening. Now, let's show you how to put it into its right place. That's when they, it's the stages of going from boyhood into manhood. And the problem is there's not many men around doing that. And so we've got these boys growing up and going to their graves as old, older boys. They're not going to graves as men. They haven't learnt what it is to be a man. Oh, that's interesting. And so as they get older, they just continue doing what they've always doing. We're seeing it in our sports. We're seeing it in our politicians. We're seeing it in our movie stars, our entertainers. We've got all these people. It happened to women as well. We've got all these people who are trying to be the man yeah. or the woman instead of being a man or a woman. Because when you're trying to be the, the you're in competition with everybody else around you. And that's a problem because everybody is, you know, fighting for first place. And that's why they're doing a lot of stupid stuff. But if you're trying to be a man or a woman, you want to be the best version of yourself. And who else do you want around you when you're doing that? Others, Others who are doing the same yeah. thing. Now you have a community or you have competition. Which way do you, this is what I put out to everybody when I'm talking to them, which way do you want this to go? Do you want to be part of a community where you feel valued, that you that you, you love, that you, um, you contribute? that your people want you to be there, or do you want to be the person who is trying to push everybody else down and being totally lonely on your own? Yep, you might be the richest person in the uh, in the graveyard, but what's good is that going to be to you? I think that you just nailed it too, and I think that's what happens a lot, you know, in business. And I had never thought about the, the thing because, I mean, I look at, you know, from a timeline perspective, Australia is coming into an election now just to give you some idea of when this podcast was recorded. And I'm looking at it and I, I saw something that said, said, you know, what 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 do you do when you just don't like any of it? Like, you know, election apathy, I think they called it. Um, and it's because they all behave like, yeah, you're right. I've never thought about it. They're little boys who've never grown up and never had the structures to do it. I and mean, I'm saying boys because the two leaders at the moment are oh, men. Like in it's just like, and it's just like, I don't want someone, that's not leadership. Well, it, it is a form of leadership, but it's not, how are you going to get us out of this? lead and then everyone says oh well you know the people who can really lead they're not going to go into politics because I mean uh, that narcissism and everything you know the people who could really do a great job the actual system burns them if you have grown up and you have done the work you can't go into that because you know that it'll burn you out immediately so you you stay out That's of it. it so there's this perpetual thing and I think that happens in business a lot and you know people go into business usually to make more money but you're not going to make more money. You can make, I mean, if you want to just go and make money, there's easy ways to do that. But if you want to make money and build relationships, you know, this is where you've got to go. And business is by definition, you know, around people. And they're our biggest resource and we've got to get an understanding of that. So given that you've built this amazingly safe community and I know that you've had spin-offs into Business Smiles, the Business Off Smiles. Business and Smiles. Yeah, is one thing that spun off it. We'll put all the links back. You've got to get the socks, guys. Just go and buy the socks. <laughs> Look at the other stuff too, but I've got the socks and they're really cool. What would you, I would like to leave this with just one or two tips that you could give somebody who wants to say, okay, I can see how, how can I start simply? What's the first step that I could do to maybe start creating that safer environment in my business or my environment remember that you know people say you've got two ears and one mouth and i go yeah you've also got two eyes as well so you've got two eyes two ears and one mouth use them in that proportion 
you know, because the non-verbals, the things that really tell us what's going on, the tone of voice, the expressions, the body language, all of that we need our eyes to see well. And so, you know, there's the focus. And when you're using your mouth, instead of making statements, ask questions. It's like in the campfire project, I'll sit down with somebody, all I'll do is ask questions. I'll ask a first question, and while they're talking, I shut up. Until they stop talking, I won't ask a question. The reason I do that is I know that their unconscious mind is steering their conscious mind and what the conscious mind needs to know. So if I let them talk, the conscious mind will keep the unconscious mind will keep feeding them, and then they'll consciously be aware of what they need to do in their own life. So they get therapy while I'm being quiet. I don't make any comments. At the end, I'll then ask them some questions. But when I ask questions, as I've, I've said to somebody the other day, and they said, well, how many questions do I ask somebody? I said, every question you can think of, plus one more. And they go, how can I ask another question of after every question I've asked? I said, well, that, when you get to that point, it's a case of saying to the person, what I've been picking up is this, this, and this. This is how I understand it. Have I got it right? Because then you're confirming with the person. The person knows that you actually have cared. You really wanted to know for their sake what was going on, not just for your sake. And now if you're correct, they can say yes, and they feel fantastic about the fact that you've actually got it. If you're not, they can then correct you, and you've got a conversation. Yes. And still it's a positive outcome, regardless of whether you got it right or you haven't got it right, because now you're in, and they'll really open up. Because when people open up, they feel safe. They will open up and tell you what's going on. If you're a boss and owning an organisation, if you don't look after your staff to that level, they're not going to look after your customers. Your staff come first. They're your customers. And then your staff will look after the customers of the business and that's when you'll make money. We keep hearing everybody saying, right, you have to go and work on your business if you really want to grow it. How the world can you work on your business if you're working in the business, having to monitor everybody and micromanage to get them to perform to hit KPIs? You'll never work on your business. The only way you can work on your business is when the people in the business are working in it. They feel that they contribute, that they value, that they belong. They take the role on. They assume authority and responsibility for the work that they're doing. Not that you're giving it to them. You don't need to. They will accept it and they will drive the business forward. And in fact, a business person's true identity is somebody who employs people who can do what they can't do or don't want to do and do it better than them. While they're, and they can go on holidays and the company will not only survive but grow in their absence. Absolutely. Then you're working on your business. Yep. Until you've got to that point, you're just an employee and probably the lowest paid employee in your business because you'll put so much more work into it and so much more stress into it. I think that, you know, everyone, please listen to that. Um, there's been various things because I read something very interesting the other day is that we're taught as business owners to you know, work on our business or to build our business first or to lead our business, then to lead our people. And then if we're lucky, like you and I, we've got the braveness to work on our self-leadership, lead ourselves. Mm. It's the wrong way around. We need to yeah. learn how to lead ourselves. Then we need to lead the team, as you said, and then the team will grow the business and they will come up with all of those ideas because your team is the business. You're not unless you want to work by yourself and that's fine. You can do that. Mm. Do what, what's good for you. But so often we're, we're just led. We, we ups, the leadership training is upside down. It's like, no, lead yourself first. Yeah, that's it. So I'll give you two examples if I may. Before I left and started my own business, I was working with, with telecom. I actually left the day they became Telstra. I took redundancy and half my staff wanted to come with me. And people said, oh, you must have been easy on your staff. No, I was in charge of the, the, all the modems, the links that went between all the computer systems with all the businesses across, out of Newcastle and across Australia. We had the highest performance on the maintenance side in fixing faults. We had the highest performance on the installation side. The guys worked their tail off. But then half of them wanted to quit their job and come with me when I took redundancy to come into my next business. By leading them the right way, they did all that work. I didn't have to do it. I joined the surf club and when I joined the surf club in my 30s, I was put in a role where once I did my training, they put me straight into a patrol captain's job and gave me everybody that nobody else wanted. But I turned that in that one year, they became the patrol of the year. So then they talked to me into being the club captain and zone supervisor of three beaches in Newcastle. And when I did that, I, they said, what are you going to do with that patrol? I said, keep them together. 
and I got one of the guys who I'd been watching all the way through to step up into the patrol captain's job. That year, I took myself away from selecting any of the winners of any of the awards. And with the other people who had given to me because they were no hopers the year before that again, this year turned around and voted them in as a patrol of the year again. So I made myself redundant. And this is a job of a boss, any boss, is to make themselves redundant by bringing people up to do what they have able to do and hopefully do it better than they've been doing it because otherwise you can't go on and do something else. Exactly. If you're a, an executive in a company, you need to do that if you want to get to the higher roles. You have to be able to have people to take over the job to become dispensable in that role yourself so that then you can be moved on to the next one. If you're a boss, you own the business, then you can go and step out and work on the business. Every leader or anybody who's in a team leading role or anything like that, their job is to make themselves redundant. If they're worried about that, it's because they don't think they're good enough and they need to get over it. As I say, if somebody doesn't think they're good enough, I say, get over it. If you think you're too good, get over yourself. Get over yourself. <laughs> if you in that role and you go, right, if I help my staff up to take over and do what I'm doing, what has that shown the people above me? I have the ability not just be promoted because I was good at my job here, but I've shown that I have what it takes to go into the next role and be efficient in that as well. Because most people get promoted to their level of incompetence, but if I keep helping other people rise up, I don't have a level of incompetence. It's keep getting pushed further and further with every role I take. Yeah, and I think that's so important because I think that also, you know, copes with the burnout thing because you will then have more time and space because everyone else is taking on their role. They've got clear... You know, they've got a clear path to follow as well. So they're feeling safe and it reduces the mental health strain. I mean, mental health is always going to be there. We all have, life can be a shit show. So, you know, it's not, not all tulips, but I think that is the lead to reducing your burnout. One, one thing I've learned about burnout is that, and, and mental health, because I've done, you know, been on high on the spectrum of both is, and is that once I learned that, once I learned, oh, I don't have to do everything. I've got these amazing people who can do stuff if I lead them in the, in the appropriate way. And more importantly, I think what you said, let them. You know, it, it is one of the, you know, everyone says, well, you know, how can you double your income with burnout? Uh, it parries staff. <laughs> it just, it's quite easy. If somebody's going through tough times and you allow them to come and talk to you, some people will say, oh, but I'm going to have everybody coming to me and whinging about their role. Well, you've got the wrong attitude to start with if you think use the word whinging. But if they come to you and you go, rightio, well, anybody who's a good business person, somebody comes to them with a problem, you say, right, and come to me with all your problems, but also come to me with a solution. Yes. What you think might be a solution to, to reply, we'll look at that. It's the same thing. Say, my door is open. You can come and talk to me about your, your problems, but look, just remember, we're going to be looking for a solution. Mm -hmm. You're not going to just come in and be able to complain about it so you feel better about yourself. See, I used to be a, a telephone counsellor. And one of the things when I was in that role, we had the same people. They actually had files. They gave them a, a name. We didn't know the person's name, but the same person would call up over and over again, talking about everything that they'd been through 10 years, 15 years before, and it was like it happened yesterday. Yeah. They were ringing up just to dump so they felt better about themselves. And all the counsellors who, who listened to this would then get part of that as well, be part of it. And I went, hang on, this is wrong. We, our job was to empathise, catch them, but to move them on. Yeah. If people aren't being moved on, we become part of their problem. Yeah, you're empowering the well, If you've got staff who are upset and everything else, yes, be there for them to say, hey, let's look at how we can find a solution to this. And I think that's the really important thing. You know, people say that to me all the time. They're just whinging. Find out why. Like, I think your mm. questioning thing is so important there. And then it's like, okay, how are we going to fix it? Um, if you don't have that step, it just, yeah, as you said, it, it spins around. And I can tell you nothing nothing leads to, um, you know, leadership. And I learned that probably reasonably late. But mm. it's like, you can come to me. I will hold as much space. But, yeah, be aware that I think that's what you said we're going to find a solution to this so so you stop and move on because we don't we don't i think there's a whole lot of dwelling in the drama of all that as well yeah so back in the 1980s i had one of my staff members who was coming in late and the other guys were complaining about it anyway i pulled him aside and asked him what was going on and he it was stuff at home that was happening so i allowed him to come in a little bit later he got, he got my permission to do that now that was out of what anybody was allowed to do but i went ahead and did that Anyway, um, 
the, so the guy said, hang on, you're letting him come in late all the time. I go, well, just for, put that aside for a moment. I said, remember that job that you really hate? And I said, have you done that lately? He says, no, I haven't. And I asked the others, you know, that stuff you really don't like doing. They went, no, we don't like doing that. And I said, have any of you been doing that work lately? And they went, no. I said, it's been done though, hasn't it? And they went, it must be. And I said, guess who's done it? He's done it. That was the condition we had. I gave him, I understood the situation at home. I empathised with that. And I went, okay, I also need something back from you to, uh, you know, to help you work through this. And it also needs to be for the other guys as well because every, we're a unit here. We work together. So he took on all the jobs that nobody else wanted to do. And he did it with a smile on his face because we looked after the problem he had because we gave a solution that was a much bigger headache to him than doing a, a crappy job. But the other guys whinged about doing those crappy jobs. And as soon as I said to him, right, well, he can come back in on time and he'll be unhappy. You're going to have a miserable workmate, but you're also going to be doing the crap jobs as well. And they went, oh, no, we're happy. <laughs> so that was the end of that. I love, I love that solution because it really um, pulls into me as well because, you know, when I was first became a partner, um, I always was like, they had an eight o'clock start, which I, having two small kids, it was impossible for me to do that. And so I had to, you know, but I was always there late and I was bringing in clients, you know, doing all that stuff. That one thing just bugged everybody for some ungodly known reason. And um, I wish I'd had you then. <laughs> so as soon as I start, I actually changed my whole life around it. And so then I was just pissed off, um, you know, and came in at eight, everyone's attitude changed, but it was like, what did this actually achieve? It was unhelpful for me. Um, it was helpful in that everyone else's attitude say, but I did start then questioning, um, you know, what the morals are. But I love that because I, I could have said, well, actually I was doing a shit job. I was doing all the marketing and all the things that people didn't like. So, um, you know, I, I love that, that, okay, well, you know, which is the which is the shittier thing that, that are you happy to do that? And then everyone is happy to do that. That the negotiation and bringing all, all together, I think, is such a good learning um, to take away from this. It was really important for the others to be involved in that so that they got something out of it as well. So they just didn't see me making it lenient for him. Yeah, yeah. But they would get a reward as well. So they then were concerned about the issues he was going through at home. They were on, you know, wanting to support him because the more they supported him, when it all got sorted out and some of those jobs were starting to transfer back to them as well, they would have had his support as well. And so they realised that they had a backup in him because they were also part of the solution for him being able to work on the issue he had at home. They were helping him by doing these, you know, by him doing that job, they were taking the pressure off him and stop whinging about the fact he was coming in late that made it easier for him to be able to realise that everybody was in support of him. And then they knew that when it was all over, he would then support them back in return. And that just goes back to bringing everybody together. And I think sometimes as leaders, you know, bringing everybody into, first of all, you know, allowing that man to actually share share the problem, you know, one exactly what you're using campfire. So one-on-one -on -one with you and then get him safe so he can share it with everybody else. And everyone then comes up with a solution that everyone's happy with. The transparency of that is just what businesses, you know, going forward really need to be doing or not business. I think just everybody, <laughs> it's not even business. It's, it's every, it's every single, we all live in community. We're all people. We all need conversation. Um, and we all need to be safe in that to be able to express our, our feelings. And we're a long way off it, but it's so, um, inspiring to see these communities being developed by people such as yourself. And not only that, everybody, Alan really walks his talk in that he did start Campfire, but he now has a couple of people who are basically um, rolling with it and, you know, growing it without you. That's correct, isn't it? That's it. So, you know, people are saying, Alan, we need to see more of you. And I'm going, no, I'm pushing you guys out in front. There's other things that I'm doing. So I'm working with International Men's Day. I'm working with the um, World Day of the Boy Child. I'm working with other groups because another a number of groups have said, well, we want to be able to start something similar ourselves. And I went, right, I'll help you do that. But I also then want you to become part of ours as well because I'm networking men's groups around the world. I'm networking women's groups. I'm getting their leaders to come in and tell their stories and then getting them into panel discussions together, not just to expand and let everybody know about their groups, but also I guarantee they're going to go through tough times themselves while they're running their groups. Who do they turn to? Well, if they're built up, 
relationships with all the leaders from the other groups, they've always got someone they can turn to when they're under stress. So I'm not, I, somebody said to me, Alan, you're a, you know, I've heard of super connectors and I've heard of super connectors, but you're neither. You knit people. And when I yeah. thought about it, if you think about knitting, it's all those different levels. You break one strand, it still holds together. And that's the way I work with people. So at all the different levels and different connections. But we've got a couple of young guys who've never met each other face-to-face. This is Scott Carson and James Short. They've only met on Zoom. One's up in Ballina, Lennox Heads, and the other one's down in Melbourne. They, Scott started by doing runs in Melbourne wearing these bright yellow socks, the ones you mentioned before, with these little black dots on them. The description of them is the black dots are the tough times we go through our life. We're not going to get out and they're going to happen. And the yellow is the warmth of the winter sun, the camaraderie, the right support. They hand these out. Scott started uh, running and people would look at his socks and they'd smile. They'd, he'd look up and see him smiling back and they're into conversations. He then started handing the socks out and getting conversations started about mental health. And then he met with Scott, with uh, James, I should say. They put together the uh, Business of Smiles, which is now a not-for-profit organisation. It's going through the deductible gift status now. They've been doing runs. They did a 4 by 4 by 48 which is four miles every four hours for 48 hours. One in Melbourne, one in uh, uh, Ballina at the time, both doing the run at the same time. And they raised money for the living school that got flooded out in Lismore with the, the uh, rains that came, the floods. And now they're about to run from Sydney to Melbourne, and that will probably be one of the first times they physically get to meet each other in the same location. They'll run from Sydney to Melbourne, down the coast road, handing out socks to the people, having conversations, getting groups involved, hopefully to hand out 10,000 pairs of socks to start 10,000 conversations on mental health. I love the simplicity of that. I love that people have said, here's a problem, I'll just start one-on-one Again, going back to the one-on-one, he started just getting three or four people to smile and then he built it and then he built it. I mean, then he's in, he's, he's also in campfire and now it's getting, you know, 10,000 and then that starts the conversation and that starts the conversation. I think we miss all this. Everything does, everything, everything worthwhile starts in very, very small, consistent, persistent steps. That's it. One, one step, step at a time. time and somewhere along and that is the law of it like that don't fight that that's just mm. look, any any type thing that you want to build i see a problem i really don't know how to solve it but i'm going to start here and i know gonna, it's going to get bigger and i'm going to get the right people and some people are going to like it and some people aren't i think that's a beautiful message too and that is so important in any kind of change that you're doing in your business don't expect to take the information that you've got here and change the conversations and the safety in your business by next week it will take. It takes time. You've got to build the trust. It will also take forever. Like it never stops. <laughs> yeah, people need to build the trust. They need to experience it. You know, they say like changing a habit, turning it into a behavior and then it becoming a belief. It takes a period of time. But for everybody else around you while you're doing that, they need another season again where they get belief and trust that that is actually what you've done. So they're always going to be behind you where you're up to at that point. So don't expect them to see it straight away. It's going to take them a little while. Yes. But if you do that, it will grow. But you find the, the right people in your, your in your group and you start to nurture them. Like Scott joined the group. He did his one-on-one. He came into some of the panels and then he said, well, I said, well, when are you ready? I said, it's about time you stepped up. Because you now he didn't believe in himself. But within the first couple of moments when I first met him, we were both at a workshop, uh, I could see the strength of him. I could see that what he couldn't see in himself. So he finally stepped up. He started doing, he wanted to do the, you know, a one-on-one. I said, well, who are you going to do the one-on-one with? He said, my father. I said, well, tell me about that. He said, I haven't spoken to my father in 30 years. He said, he walked out when I was young. You know, we've never really spoke. And I said, well, what's the context of the, you know, the conversation? He said, I don't want to find blame. I want to find out, asking him why he made the decisions he's made. I want to understand. And he did that with his father, recorded it. His father agreed. That brought them closer together. His father now has finally met his grandson, like Scott's son, because he knew him when he was very young. He saw him a couple of times, but didn't he's never really met him since he was old enough to have a conversation with. Now three generations are coming together. And Scott stepped up. He's now running lives. He's running panel discussions. And he's, everyone's seeing him as a face. And I'm slipping into the back, which is great because it allows me then to do the other things that I want to do. And I can't do it without people like Scott 
or Angela Heiser who have stepped up as well. Men and women who are taking on roles and doing it because they have a passion to help other people. Yeah, and I think the the structure of that, I think that's so important and, and you can use that in your business as well. You know, mm-hmm. get those people, bring them along and you get the time invested 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 times again. So it's so important. I think we'll leave that there. I think there was so much learning there and I'm so, so interested. Is there just one thought you want to leave everybody with? Yeah, I always say to people that um, one thing to remember, or two things very quickly. One is the most important thing you'll ever learn is the next thing you learn after you think you know everything. So always be open and keep learning. (laughs) But also remember what you do for yourself dies with you, but what you do for others and for the community isn't always will be eternal. It will pay you back tenfold whatever you give out. So the more that you do that, and at the same time, You've got less angst because there's more people who like you, who value you. You feel that you belong. You get so much out of helping other people. And amen to that because I must admit that that's, it's just a manifestation, you know, treat treat others how you want to be treated, but then, you know, just keep going with it. I think that's so important. Yeah, I take one more step from there and I go... When it comes to respect and everything else, yes, treat others as you would have them treat you. But when it comes to communication, treat others as they would have you treat them and speak yes. to them. And that's that's super important too because actually I'll pull myself on that one because, you know, sometimes I don't communicate with myself the way I would want other people to communicate with me. So that is so true. So always communicate with people how you they want to be communicated with. Very good. Well, thank you so much, Alan, for being here. And good news, people. Alan's going to be back in a couple of weeks talking about his facial profiling, which is such a a different topic, kind of connected, but very, very interesting. So thank you, Alan. Thank you very much. And to everyone else out there, as always, be brave and continue the conversation. Thank you so much for your time. We work super hard on this podcast and are passionate about helping expert entrepreneurs build businesses without overwhelm. To help us, can you please leave a review if you loved it on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform?